Okay, welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we go on to verse number 43, last verse in the Chittavagga, which goes as follows. Natang mata pitagaira anyewa pitanyatika samma panihitang chittang seyaso nang tatukade which means Natang mata pitakira, not not what a mother or a father might do. Anyewa pitanyatika, or even uh, one's relatives, any other relative. Samapanihitang chitang, the mind which is well fixed or set on set in a good way. Sayaso nang tatukare. Uh, d does greater for one or acts in a works for one's well-being in a far greater to a far greater extent so the the basic meaning the mind which is well established or set in a in a good way is a is a far greater value or far greater benefit to one than even a father, a mother, or one's relatives. The benefit that can come from a well-trained mind or a well-directed mind is far greater than the benefit that one can gain from father, mother, or any other relative. That's the meaning. Now, um, each of these verses has a story associated with it. For those of you who have been keeping up, you get this by now. You probably also get that... Um, some of the stories are a little bit hard for a modern audience to believe. Well, you ain't heard nothing yet. This, this one probably takes the cake, and in fact it's one of the few stories that I have difficulty um, stomaching. But at first I thought I would just wouldn't tell the story and I'd just talk about the verse. But then the more I thought about it, I realized, you know, it's just a story. So let's just treat it as a story, because we, we read a lot of fables. I don't want to say this is a fable. I don't want to go to the extent and say it's not true. It's just meant as a story. I don't want to go to that extreme, because uh, I, who, who am I to say? So, but uh, it's a difficult one, and you'll understand once we, we get through the story. So let's just treat it as a story, as though there were the, it was so, in a similar way to a fable that has an interesting um, moral to it, right? So, story goes, there was a rich man in uh, Sawadee, I think. No? no, not in Sawadee. Anyway, there was this rich man somewhere in India, and one day he went out to the park, he went out of the city to go to the, this, this bathing place with one of his friends. And he surround, they surrounded themselves with all their servants or all of their, their retinue, so it would be maybe friends or associates or so on. And they went out in a big gang to this bathing place. And at the same time, Mahakachayana was going, right, it was the city was uh, Sor Soreya, I think was the city, Soreya Nagara. <clears throat> and... Um, 
Mahakajayana is one of the Buddha's chief disciples, one of the 80 great disciples of the Buddha, who uh, ended up apparently teaching Pali or, or, or relating the, grammar, the Pali grammar because he left. He wasn't from uh, the area where the Buddha was from. He was from far away and he ended up going back to his home, homeland to teach Buddhism and so he had to teach them Pali as well. Um, so this this is an area, you know, maybe where the the uh, you know in in the outer outskirts of of India. I don't know. Anyway, it was where Mahakajayana was staying at the time. And Mahakajayana, the interesting thing about his him is he was he was um, outstandingly handsome, you know, uh, especially handsome uh, in in. Uh, in comparison to all of the other disciples, he was his skin was bright and he had this kind of um, radiance about him. And he was going for alms round just at the time into the village, just at the time that these men were coming out of the village, just when or they had gotten to their bathing place or something like that. And they saw Mahakachayana coming. Now this the story goes that this man saw Mahakachayana and became enamored of his skin color or his beautiful uh, complexion and thought to himself wow wouldn't it be wouldn't it be wonderful if this this monk could be my wife or if my wife could have the same complexion as this monk and so he gave rise to a, a fairly powerful powerful lust, the powerful thought of lust in, in regards to this, this venerable enlightened elder. And the idea is that that intense karmic mind caused his male sexual organs to disappear and female sexual organs to arise. Um, Somehow, because the attra <laughs> the attraction towards the monk um, made him made his mind uh, you know gravitate towards a state where he would actually be able to fulfill his his lustful thoughts I mean maybe it got even worse than than it says in the text, but that's how it says it's just that he wishes this guy could be his wife, so he actually be became a woman, so that's how the story goes. Um, I don't know what that says, but that's the story. Anyway, there's nothing to do with the verse, but you'll see it, it's actually quite interesting as it goes on. Um, and so he turns into a woman, and he realizes he's a woman, and uh, she becomes quite uh, embarrassed and doesn't want anyone to see her, and so she jumps out of the cart and runs away, and everyone's like, what's going on? What's, where, where, did they, where did Soraya go? And uh, he runs away and, and, and uh, starts going on the path towards Takasila, this famous city in India. Um, and everyone's looking around, where did, the, where did the rich man go? Where did he go? And they can't find him, and so they go back home. Everyone asks where he's gone and don't find where he is, and so they, they think he's dead or something like that. They all start crying and getting upset. And meanwhile, she... The, the, the woman goes walking down this road and follows behind a caravan and they 
she goes with these people to Takasila, and uh, they they start inquiring about her who who she is and so on, and is she married and 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 they hook her up with the rich man in Takasila, and she gets married to to this this rich man in Takasila and has two kids. Um, now, when he was when when it was a he back in in the city of Soraya, he had also two kids. He was the father of two kids, and when he was in Takasila, he had two more kids. So altogether, he had four children: two from his own womb, her own womb, and two uh, from his wife's womb back in Soraya. That's how the story goes. So all of that is really, I don't know, bizarre. Then uh, his friend happens to one day come to Takasila and she sees, her friend comes to Takasila, sees her, or she sees him, and she comes down, invites him into the house, and he says, what, do I know you? And she says, uh, she asks about the family, she asks about herself, or the, when, when it was a he, and he says, uh, what, do you know this person? And says, it's me, that was me. And the guy says, you're crazy, what are you talking about, get out of here. And uh, somehow she manages to convince him that it was, that, that, yes, indeed it was, and I was there at the bathing place and so on. And the guy says, well, what happened? And he said, well, I got this, this uh, lust for the, this venerable elder, and so I kind of, uh, that, that really warped my mind, I guess, and somehow warped my body as well. So they, so they take him to the elder and her to the elder, and she apologizes. And apologizing, she becomes a man again, going back to her old, his old state. Um, you know, somehow, somehow getting back to being a man. Really bizarre. I don't, I don't know what to make of this story. Actually, uh, I don't want to endorse it. I tell you the truth, but uh, story. But the important part here is putting, putting all of that aside. The important part here has to do with the fact that. This, this guy is now in an interesting predicament. He's got four children, you know, two when he was a man, two when he was a woman. And he gets so disgusted with this whole state of, of being a mother, of being a father, that he asks permission to ordain under Mahakachayana. And Mahakachayana makes him a novice, makes him a, uh, a monk. And they go back to stay with the Buddha. And People hear about this. They call him Soraya, was his his monk name, after his city. And people hear about this, and they come and say, "Is it true? Is it really true? This is this bizarre occurrence really happened?" And he says, "Yes, it was true." And then they always ask him the same question, which which is an interesting question: Which do you love more, your uh, your the the, the 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 children that you were father of, or the children that you were mother of? And I guess they ask him other questions, but this is the one question that people always tend to ask. And he, he, he an, his answer is always um, I, the the ones you know the ones that I I actually gave birth to are the ones that are more dear to me or something like that. And he 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 answers this way again, and he becomes so disgusted with this uh, repeatedly this repeated questioning, and he pro, he puts his heart into the meditation practice and becomes enlightened. And then someone comes. Someone comes and asks him and says, "Is it really true?" He says, "Yes, it's true. This is how. This is what happened to me." 
And then they ask, so which do you love more? You're, you're the ones you were the father of or the ones you were the mother of? And he says, I don't have any... Uh, the, the word isn't love, actually, it's attachment. Sineha, which means mm, somehow like attachment or um, like a, a parental attachment to their children. And he said, I don't have any of that anymore. Or, or there is none of that in me. <coughs> and so they brought him to see the Buddha, saying that this, look, this guy claims to be an arahant. Or they didn't bring him. They go to see the Buddha. They say he's lying and so on. This is, look, listen to this monkey. He's pretending to be an arahant now after he you know, went all, you know, got crazy and had four children and, and had two sex changes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But the, the, you know, this is the interesting part, the, the idea of being uh, attached to children, both as a father and a mother. So if you think about that, fathers and mothers have kind of different attachments to, to their children in general. You know, the mother is actually the one who gave birth and nursed, and the father feels somehow like the protector of the family as they watch the situation. So they tend to have different roles towards their children. And, and this guy's experienced both of them the attachment from the mother's side and the attachment from the father's side. Um, so, so in that sense, the story kind of sets this up in an interesting way for someone to overcome that. And I guess that's um, why, that's, you know, how it relates to this verse, because the verse talks about uh, both mothers and fathers. So then the, Buddha, then the Buddha said, they came to the Buddha and the Buddha said, no, he, he's actually telling the truth. And he said, because of his well-directed mind, he has been able to uh, overcome all of his attachment, both to his the, the, the children that he fathered and the children that he mothered. And then he gives this verse. He says, better than, better than what a father or a mother can do. It's not what a father or a mother or any, or any relative could do, but it's rather what the well-directed mind can do that is greatest. So, no, again, focusing only on our meditation, let's not focus too much on that story, because it's, it's, you know, there, a lot of people came after the Buddha, and, and, you know, a lot of the stories seem true, but seem to, seem possible, but seem to have been embellished to the point where they seem ridiculous. I don't know how you could unembellish this story. Maybe you could you could get it to the point where maybe what really happened is he 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 had so much lust toward this elder that he went crazy and and maybe he thought he was a woman or I don't know something maybe that's more like it I don't know and then it gets lost in the translation you know, from generation to generation they embellish it but the point I think is the attachment to, to the attachment to beauty and the attachment to children these two themes. Uh, in the story, and of course the uh, purity of an enlightened being, both of Mahakachayana and of himself, when he became enlightened. So it is something, because they say anyone who kills an arahant, especially an arahant, can never become enlightened in this life. It's something quite extreme. If, you, if, you, if you're guilty of murdering, intentionally murdering an enlightened being, uh, it's so heavy compared to murdering an ordinary person that you can never become enlightened. It's impossible. So there is something there to to acting against enlightened beings because of the purity of it. You know, if you if you hurt a Buddha, it's the same thing. 
You could never kill a Buddha, this was the theory, but uh, you could hurt a Buddha, in which case you could also never become enlightened, that kind of thing. So the, the idea that something like this could, or the, the idea that this is somehow in line with the nature of an arahant or so on, is conceivable. But the fact that it could go to that extent to actually change one's physical characteristics, and especially in that direction, because it doesn't seem to be related. Uh, you know, he, he, in, in modern days he would be considered homosexual. He wouldn't have anything to do with becoming a woman. Um, so, I don't know. Anyway, it's uh, just a story. The point of this is how it relates to our practice. It's the same, it's a pair of verses, actually. The verse before this, if you remember, was the ill-directed mind. So this this is the well-directed mind. So if we think of how how much great, how, how, what great good our parents and our relatives can do for us. It actually relates to the, the, the potential good that we can get from the whole world around us, from the material world. Because that's really the thing, your, your parents and your relatives can only give you material well-being. The only, the only protection, the only good that they can give you is, is something that's material. At best, they could give you some teaching. They could encourage you and teach you and, and guide you towards uh, goodness of mind. But in the end, you know, many, many parents try to do just that and wind up failing uh, because the ill-directed mind of their children is unable to accept the teachings. So, the, you know, the, the, the benefits of, of of parents, of relatives, and, and of, of friends, of, of even fortune, you know, riches, uh, possessions, good luck, good health, all of these things pale in comparison to the benefit of a well-directed mind. Something that is not, not clear in the world and is really the uh, defining understanding that, that leads people towards or away from meditation, that keeps people from meditation or leads them towards it, that they want to train their minds or they don't want to train their minds. Many people in this world are not interested in training their minds. It's one of the big fears I have with the loss of religion, because there's a big anti-religion movement, which on the face of it seems uh, reasonable, considering that there is no um, you know, there is no rhyme or reason to, to believing in a god. There is no proof of the existence of a creator god. Um, but it, it seems like they're throwing something out with the bathwater. You know, the, the baby might be going out with the bathwater because they have a hard time defining ethics, and they will. People nowadays will argue against that and say, yes, you can find ethics in this or that. But the proof seems to be in their, the, the actions and the behaviors because there's a lot of anger and, and um, conflict that arises out of, you know, there's a lot that arises out of beliefs, especially wrong beliefs, but uh, there seems to be a lot of hostility and, and crudeness. You know? There's a lack of interest in the mind. So people are more and more interested in sensuality, more and more interested in possessions and material pleasures as opposed to training their minds, because of course they think material is, is of the greatest benefit. 
They think the greatest benefit comes from friends, it comes from family, it comes from things outside of yourself. They don't ever grasp that, um, or they're not ever capable, due to the coarseness of the, you know, the, the material, material uh, obsession, they're not able to grasp the, the more subtle truths of, of how important the mind is. If the mind is ill-directed, it destroys you. It doesn't matter how rich you are if your mind is upset, right? As the Buddha said, if you're lying in a uh, uh, luxurious bed with silk sheets and down comforters and down-filled pillows and so on, most people would think you sleep quite soundly, but if your mind is full of lust, if your mind is full of hatred, if your mind is full of delusion, Buddha pointed out it, it doesn't matter how much luxury you have, you'll never sleep well. And once your mind becomes free of these things, you know, as I told this story, I'm the, the, best, the best night of my life, that the best night's sleep I ever had was under a picnic table lying on the concrete in the park in downtown North Hollywood because I was free. I, was, I really felt like I had no, um, no obligations to anyone. I had given up my uh, expectations, given up any kind of hope. Oh, not, no, not saying this was a spiritual attainment, but it was some momentary you know, decision-making, decision not to get entangled with anything and just walk and go and sleep in the park. You know, something that would normally seem outrageous. You know, in the middle of winter, sleeping under the park with my thin robes on the cement. But when your body is ready to sleep and when you don't have any expectations or any worries, you sleep quite soundly. It's amazing, even in the cold of winter, freezing, lying on the concrete. I slept at least for a few hours. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't mean to, it's not a bragging or feeling proud of, but it's something that um, I, I think it's, it's obviously quite true. Because, of course, on other nights when the mind is full of, when my mind was full of lust and, and, and anger and, and, and delusion and so on, and of course there's not this kind of peace and bliss. When you, when you attain, when you're able, when you, uh, when you train your mind, when you free your mind of these things, if you have so much more happiness in any situation. It's something we don't think about, you know? So obviously there are two paths to, to happiness. The path of, the external path and the internal path. What can you get? What can you attain? What can you achieve? What can you be, you know? What can you experience? It's all about experience for people. Experience everything, skydiving, scuba diving, mountain climbing, uh, you know, movies, music, internet, you know, uh, romance, sexuality. All, all The more you can experience, the better. And then you bring, what do you bring with, at all times bring with the mind? What do you experience it with? What are these experiences ex experienced with? The mind. And what if your mind is unhealthy? What if your mind is untrained? Can you really enjoy any of this? And of course, simply by in, in, uh, by cra craving for these things, you cultivate more craving, you cultivate an addiction towards them. Your mind becomes more and more 
unsatisfied. It's not that you can die satisfied knowing you've done so many good things. You will die unsatisfied because of your um, your craving for excitement and so on. But when your mind becomes well-directed, when you uh, are able to really see the essence of things so that every all of your experiences have meaning. When you travel, you talk to people, you uh, learn uh, about good things, you, hear, you listen to stories, you ask questions about good things and find out about... Uh, live your life helping people, live your life learning, studying, practicing good things. This is of, of, of greatest benefit, the trained mind. Because in our lives we have a wide variety of experiences. We have good, ex pleasant and unpleasant experiences. No one can escape that. But the person with the untrained mind clearly is at, a, as, at an intense disadvantage, extreme disadvantage. When they enter into an argument, they become upset. When they um, experience, when they receive something they desire, they become addicted. Now a person who is not, who, who has a well-trained mind, a well-directed mind, and sees things as they are, experiences the same things. They experience the same sort of suffering. They experience the same sort of pleasure. But they don't suffer from the suffering. They don't, they're not upset by it. Their mind is well-established, is well established in wisdom and understanding. When pain arises, they know it is pain. When they hear sound, when someone's yelling at them, they know it's just sound. When a person's mind is ill-directed, they become upset, and they do all sorts of evil things to hurt other people. They insult and, and vilify and, and, and cheat and rob and, and take advantage of other people. Uh, they look down on others. When the mind is ill-directed, all of these things you do, not only hurting yourself, but hurting other people as well, it, it has a cumulative effect of sullying the mind. Such people are not um, pleasant to be around. They're not the sort of people who you would trust with um, secrets or trust with responsibility. They're not the sort of people that people admire and love and respect. All of the wonderful advantages of a well-directed mind are lost on people with ill-directed minds. And when you have a well-directed mind, people respect you, they love you, they esteem you. You uh, succeed in everything that you do. You focus on whatever you do. You are um, wise and discerning in the, th in the choices that you make in life, in the paths that you choose. You are a benefit both to yourself and to the world around you. You um, live your life without guilt or remorse, without worry or fear of being chastised, of being attacked, of being criticized, because you know that you've done nothing worthy of criticism. And when you die, you die happy, because you're sure and settled in yourself. You have no wants, you have no unfinished business. You die with peace in your mind. For these reasons and more, and for unlimited reasons, for most especially for the reason that you attain to enlightenment, you attain the perfect understanding of suffering, the cause of suffering, you attain to the cessation of suffering so that nothing can make you suffer, you realize Nibbāna, 
and you live your life according to the noble path. For all of these reasons, the Buddha said that the, the well-directed mind brings happiness. There is no jittang dantang sukhavahang, the mind that is well tamed or trained brings happiness. And as the Buddha said here, not, it's not the it's not the good that a mother or a father might do for you, or even any relative or any other relative. It's the goodness that a mind. It's the goodness that comes from a mind well directed, directed towards wisdom and understanding, and towards peace, happiness. Directed towards goodness, directed towards clarity of mind. That is of the greatest the highest benefit, much higher benefit than any other, any other thing. So that's the teaching on this verse. I apologize if the story was a little bit weird or even uh, uncalled for in some ways. It seems a little bit sexist if you ask me, but um, anyway, let's, uh, let's hope that it's, <laughs> anyway, it's just a story, whatever. So the most important, I think, is, has come through. And we understand that the most important is the verse teaching of the Buddha, which really doesn't have much at all to do with the story, um, though it does pose an interesting question. The love of a father and the love of a mother, the overcoming of this, uh, the, the, the being free from one's uh, attachments, and being just clear and pure in the mind, doesn't mean not having love. This is the question we always get. Does that mean an enlightened being doesn't have love? No, it means they don't cling. They don't get upset. And they don't worry about other people. They don't um, expect, have expectations in regards to other beings. And they just have peace and love and compassion and equanimity. So, anyway, thank you for tuning in. This has been a teaching on verse number 43, the end of the Jittavaka. So we are officially more than 10% done the Dhammapada with this verse. Well, thank you for tuning in and uh, wish you all are able to put this into practice and train it and well direct your own minds so that you may find peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Thank you and have a good day.